So I actually uh, put the, uh, created slides uh, for this sermon, but I forgot to put them in the service. Uh, so Michelle, would you be able to quickly insert them? Thank you. A uh, little preface anyway, uh, that uh, our readings today are wonderful, wonderful set of readings uh, for the beginning of Lent, really any time though, as we deal with the, the topic of temptation. Uh, we can look and see the very beginning of temptation where sin entered the world uh, in the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, their inability uh, to stand up to uh, the devil's wiles and uh, to resist his lies. Uh, that at the root of all the suffering in the world, therefore, we see the devil's temptation. Uh, and yet, immediately thereafter, we hear God's promise that the woman's offspring will crush the serpent's head. And just as we uh, heard in our uh, uh, introit uh, from Psalm 9, uh, trample the serpent uh, underfoot, uh, that uh, gospel lesson, which is our, our focus then, highlights how Christ came in and did exactly that. And as uh, Paul writes in our epistle lesson, therefore undoes the curse brought on earth by Adam and Eve's fall, that Adam's sin, which uh, brought uh, sin and death uh, to all people, uh, all Adam and Eve's descendants, is now counteracted by the new Adam, Christ, who has done what the first Adam could not, overcome uh, the devil and his temptations, and thereby brings uh, to us and all people uh, the gift of eternal life. So uh, we've got, uh, we could go all day on this set of lessons. Uh, I won't, uh, don't worry. Uh, but uh, I'd encourage you to uh, continue to, to unpack this a, as the week goes on uh, because it's a, a great source of um, comfort and inspiration and guidance. Uh, our, our theme uh, is, uh, for this Lent is uh, Luther. Luther for Lent or Lent with Luther, whichever way you want to do it, uh, that uh, we're going to be digging a little bit into our, our Lutheran identity and taking advantage of uh, Luther's uh, special insight and special uh, way of uh, applying things, uh, kind of articulating things, uh, to uh, see what uh, our, our life of discipleship um, uh, looks like, and just as it always has, uh, how uh, Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, whether it's 2023 or, or uh, 1534, uh, we're going to have that same blessing uh, from Christ in his word. So uh, looks like we're having a little bit of trouble. Fortunately, I've got notes. Uh, so we'll just go with this. Uh, uh, oh, there we go. Uh, so, Luther writes in his, his sermon for the first Sunday in Lent in 1534, every Christian, as soon as he's baptized, is marshaled into an army in confrontation with the devil, and from his baptism onward is saddled with the devil who harasses him as long as he lives. So, congratulations, you've been drafted. Uh, that's what... Uh, the, the point really is, is that in our baptism, uh, we 
uh, are brought into a conflict. There's no neutral territory. It's not just a, a, a pleasant, convenient uh, title uh, with no responsibilities attached or anything like that. Just as uh, Christ was baptized in the Jordan and immediately goes out into the wilderness and is confronted with the devil, Luther says that's, that's the life of every Christian. Uh, in baptism, we are marked as God's children, and, and the devil has out for God's children. Uh, in baptism, uh, we're drafted into the kingdom of God, into his army, and spiritual warfare immediately begins to take place. And it doesn't stop. Uh, until we die, uh, that the devil is going to be after us, and uh, that we therefore have to take that seriously and be ready for the, uh, the spiritual conflict uh, that's inevitably going to result, the temptations that the devil is going to hurl at us, the slings and arrows, uh, the fiery darts uh, that uh, Ephesians 6 talks about uh, that are uh, going to... Uh, come at us from every angle. And uh, the devil does that in a lot of different ways. Luther looks at uh, the uh, temptation of of Christ here as a kind of template uh, to highlight uh, how the devil uh, tries in his various sneaky ways uh, to get at us and draw us away from God. Uh, He'll use hunger and persecution to to frighten us. uh, Like Uh, when he uh, tried to use Jesus' hunger to uh, uh, tempt him to turn the stones into bread. He used his worldly wealth to tantalize us. If he can't uh, get at us through fear and want and need uh, to uh, use the positive emotions, uh, the the desirable things to lure us uh, into uh, temptation, or, or just using false doctrine to confuse us uh, in many and various ways. Uh, the, the devil will constantly be after us, but we are also armed. Uh, that our weapons, Luther points out, are the, the word of God and prayer. He says it's, therefore, every Christian's bounden duty uh, to be steadfastly uh, in God's word, to uh, arm ourselves uh, with Scripture so that we know God's Word and can constantly turn to it uh, for help and protection in every time of need, and that we're always in prayer. Uh, Luther is uh, throughout uh, his his writing, particularly in Lent, very catechetical, and so he's uh, pointing specifically to the Lord's Prayer and specifically the petitions, Thy Kingdom Come, and lead us not into temptation, uh, but deliver us uh, from evil, uh, as prayers that should be constantly on our lips uh, to uh, preserve us uh, from uh, temptation and the evil one. When we see, uh, as we uh, go on, we see uh, Christ put these weapons to work in uh, his battle against the devil. Um, First, uh, uh, yeah, uh, I think we're missing some. Uh, so, uh, first, though, we have to look at the battleground. Uh, that uh, It's significant, uh, Luther points out, that uh, Jesus didn't go looking for a, a battle. 
that he was sent by the Spirit out into the wilderness, uh, that he was simply following the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and uh, the battle came to him. In the same way, Luther, who's uh, very focused uh, on uh, the uh, contrary teaching of monasticism in his day, says we shouldn't be manufacturing our own good works, our own uh, way of, of serving God, but simply go where he calls us, uh, specifically in the Ten Commandments. As the uh, Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness, the Spirit leads us into the home and workplace uh, through his Ten Commandments to be good fathers and mothers and to, for children to obey their fathers and mothers, uh, to uh, care for our neighbor's bodily needs in the Fifth Commandment, to uh, be loving husbands and wives in the Sixth Commandment, to uh, care for uh, our, the physical resources God has given to us and to our neighbor in the Seventh Commandment, and so on and so on. And that we uh, look to the Ten Commandments as the Holy Spirit's call to uh, serve uh, the Lord by serving our neighbor uh, in our vocations. Now, Hopefully, uh, your marriage, your home, or your workplace isn't the uh, picture that immediately came to your mind when being called out into a a wilderness wasteland to fast for 40 days. Uh, But there are somewhat important similarities that our walk of life is our journey to the promised land. We connect the the wilderness in the gospel here to the the wilderness in the Old Testament. And Jesus' 40 days of fasting in the wilderness was a a, a fulfillment of the foreshadowing of Israel's wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. That our call into the wilderness is our walk of life on the way to the promised land. Uh, the heavenly home that God has prepared for us. And it, it is, in some ways, like a wilderness, not easy. No matter how blessed your relationships may be, uh, there is always difficulty. There are always challenges. And this uh, wilderness is where we learn to depend completely on God. Uh, this walk of life is our, our time of growing in faith and Uh, trust in God uh, so that we don't depend on ourselves or look for shortcuts to achieve for ourselves what God alone uh, can provide. Remember back in the Exodus, there was a shorter way actually to get uh, to the promised land, a a shorter, easier way, but God led them through the wilderness uh, to lead them to depend on him alone. Of course, through the wilderness, this is also where the devil will be trying to derail us. In our walk of life, these are the areas as we follow the Ten Commandments that the devil will be trying to derail us. In our relationship with our parents or children, in our relationship with our spouse, in our relationship with money, in our relationship with our neighbor. This is where the devil will be engaging us, uh, to tempt us and lead us astray. The devil doesn't care whether you're you're, uh, loyal to the chiefs or not. That's not where the devil is going to tempt you. 
going to tempt you on the battleground of the Ten Commandments where the Holy Spirit has called you. Just as he was tempting uh, the Israelites in the Exodus through hunger and discontentment, just like Jesus. The people said, we have no food, we have no water, and they rebelled against uh, God and his servant Moses. Uh, Again, the devil used uh, the same tricks that used uh, the, the pleasures and enticements the Moabites offered, uh, specifically uh, through uh, adultery uh, and promiscuity uh, to lure and entice the Israelites away uh, from worship of God. He used false doctrine to confuse them with Aaron, the high priest, telling them to worship a golden calf at Mount Sinai. Uh, the, uh, uh, this is where This is how the devil tries to get us. But we see in Jesus how God has won the victory for us. For example, in the temptation of earthly provision, the devil says to uh, Jesus, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Luther takes an interesting application uh, to this, and not so much in the sense of uh, prove that you are the Son of God by doing this, um, but uh, suggesting how the the temptation uh, for us and for all people is uh, to try to take advantage uh, of the fact that we're children of God uh, with a sense of entitlement uh, to say, hey, I'm a, I'm a child of God, uh, so uh, God can't be angry with me. Let's keep on hoarding and being covetous and chasing after earthly things. I'm a child of God. I can go do whatever I want. And the devil can even use uh, that uh, to try and tempt us, often successfully, uh, into a, a focus on earthly things. Uh, so that we neglect uh, what is spiritual and what, what is really more important. And it's as true today, obviously, I think, as it was in Luther's day, uh, that we still struggle to keep our, our eyes on a heaven above, uh, to uh, keep our eyes on uh, things that are eternal or easily sidetracked by earthly immediate needs or even just wants uh, that uh, can take on a, uh, an importance to us really over and above what really matters. Uh, Christ uh, teaches us by his response that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God, uh, that is God's children Uh, We look to God for provision and trust in his provision. As God's children, because I am uh, a son of God, not the son of God, but a son of God, because I am God's child, I'm looking to him and his supply, not what the world gives. And I, I shape my understanding of what I need based on what God gives. 
It's uh, like a, a baby bird uh, being fed by its parents. Uh, when you think about uh, uh, every uh, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Uh, the uh, little uh, mama bird that uh, brings in her mouth the food for her chick, that comes out right out of her mouth into the mouth of the baby chick. You can imagine our interaction with God the same way, that it's the word of God that comes from his mouth into our mouths to feed us. And that bread of life is his word. Uh, we can go even deeper into this as Jesus, the word made flesh, calls himself the true bread from heaven uh, in uh, John chapter 6. And in the Lord's Supper, uh, we eat his body and drink his blood um, that we may live not with bread alone, uh, but uh, the Word of God made flesh. We trust in God, though, in His benevolence uh, to provide for us and are therefore safeguarded against the, the temptation of merely earthly provision. The devil would go on uh, to uh, tempt Jesus by suggesting that he, he uh, go up on, on the uh, top of the temple and, and says, uh, Hey, the Bible says he will command his angel to guard you and protect you so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. So throw yourself off the top of the temple. Now, the, the book of Leviticus and all those temple-y things uh, uh, are kind of confusing, but I'm pretty sure that's not actually what God gave us them or them the temple for. I, I don't read anywhere in Leviticus that on a certain day, go up on top and jump off. Uh, that's not the purpose of the temple. I mean, that's a pretty classic, clear example of using something in the wrong way. Now, we've all, maybe not all, but a lot of us probably have tried to use a, a screwdriver as a crowbar have uh, tried to improvise and use something in the wrong way, and it usually breaks or, or breaks you. It's you. Uh, because when you use stuff in the wrong way, that's the wrong way. Uh, using a temple to jump off of is very clearly the wrong way. God gave them the temple to go inside and offer the proper sacrifices uh, in prayer uh, to uh, recognize God as their Savior and Deliverer, not to jump off of it. It's kind of dumb when you think about it. But that's what the devil does, is using God's gifts and trying to get us to use them in the wrong way for our harm rather than our benefit. And typically after the fact, we can look back and say, well, that was kind of obviously dumb. Which is why we need to be constantly in God's word. So before the fact, we can recognize that isn't what God has given me those gifts for. Uh, that God has a plan and a purpose uh, for 
uh, the money he's entrusted to me or the gift of sexuality or whatever it may be uh, that is supposed to be used for his design. And when you use it the wrong way, it's like jumping off the temple. Of course, the specific gift uh, that is applied here is uh, the gift of God's word and interaction with him that the devil is trying to corrupt, uh, which is God's greatest gift uh, to us and therefore the most dangerous one to corrupt and kind of the devil's favorite one to corrupt. That goes back all the way to the Garden of Eden where the devil's temptation to Eve began with, did God really say, you shall not eat of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? So he actually misquoted God who only said you shall not eat of the tree in the middle of the garden and tried to misuse that gift. In the same way, he tries to use the powerful strength of God's word and uh, Christ's reliance on it in uh, the first temptation uh, to use that strength into a weakness. Uh, the devil tempts Jesus to turn the stones into bread. Jesus answers with, the God, with God's word. And the devil basically says, oh, you're going to use God's word? Well, then let's use God's word. The word says he'll protect you. So jump off the temple then if you believe God's word. It's a, it's a difficult temptation um, because it, it tries to turn our, that strength into a weakness. And that's why we have to be all the more careful with it. That a false doctrine uh, would not lead us astray. Uh, that the word of God uh, would not turn into a, a license to do evil uh, rather than uh, guidance in what is good. It's something that we still wrestle with today in many different ways. Uh, the temptation to essentially go our own way, do our own thing, and claim God's blessing on it by manufacturing some biblical support. Uh, it's uh, the, essentially the claim of an infallibility, uh, that I, I'm going to do whatever I want and I'm justified in it, I have God's blessing because God says, yeah, I can jump off uh, and I'll be okay. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church uh, brought this up in the, the, the uh, doctrine of church infallibility, that the church can essentially teach or do nothing wrong. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, the Reformation has brought those who uh, go full circle and end up in the same place from the opposite direction, assuming infallibility at the personal level, is saying basically, hey, I have the Holy Spirit in me, so however I interpret the Scripture or how, whatever I want to do must have God's blessing. Well, neither one is right. We're not infallible, and the church isn't infallible either, and that's why we have the church, is to hold each other accountable, uh, to be accountable to the church and for the church as a body to each be accountable uh, to each other. But we need that humility before one another uh, to uh, receive guidance, instruction, and correction uh, from one another. 
that's rooted in God's word that we need to have always before us uh, in both senses and to have God's word in front of us uh, where we're always looking at it and in both senses of in front of us, having God's word in front of us, not behind us, uh, leading the way, not coming secondary to our own thoughts. We need, of course, most of all, Christ interceding for us before the Father. As we already talked about in uh, the epistle lesson, that Christ is the one who has overcome the devil. And his blood uh, covers over our sin and gives us uh, the uh, forgiveness when we fall and the strength uh, to continue to seek God. And finally, the temptation of idolatry uh, comes up when uh, the devil tells Jesus, hey, look, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world in all their splendor if you just bow down and worship me. Well, that seems like a pretty bold and bald-faced temptation, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, after Jesus has already successfully resisted some pretty subtle temptations, just be like, hey, how about you worship the devil instead of God? Doesn't seem exactly sneaky, does it? Uh, it's very straightforward. But it highlights how this is really what all those sneaky temptations ultimately amount to. Uh, here in this temptation, we've got the, the worldly wealth offered as an enticement, just like the bread temptation uh, used uh, earthly things uh, as an enticement to an allure. It brought up and is rooted in false worship, uh, just like uh, the temptation to uh, jump off the top of the temple. Uh, it incorporates both these things and highlights that both these things were really amounting to the same thing as the third and final temptation, uh, uh, which is to break the first commandment. And that's why Luther, in his explanation of the Ten Commandments, uh, highlights in all of them, uh, we should fear and love God so that we keep commandments Two through ten. Because they're all rooted in that first commandment to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And whatever causes us to uh, break any other commandment, to fall in any temptation, uh, is really a failure to fear and love and trust in God above all things. It's letting something else get under our skin. And the world says uh, all religions get you to the same place, just like all roads go to Rome. Uh, but God's word says that what road you're on matters. And Jesus is the, the way that is true and leads to life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. That there is no shortcut, uh, no other path. There's no ends that justify the means uh, to uh, do something else. And that's really uh, the, uh, where uh, the devil 
in this temptation is trying to get Jesus to go because Jesus, of course, is the, the king of the world, uh, that all these things would belong to him. Uh, the Father would give him all these things. At the end of Matthew, we read, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. So the devil is just going to give Jesus what he deserves, what he's going to get. But he says, why don't you take this shortcut? There's an easier way that doesn't lead to the cross. But of course, Christ knows that his way goes through the cross. Because he doesn't want all of the splendor of earth just for himself. He wants to open the way for us as well. And that means that our way will also go through the cross. The temptation to utilitarianism or a results-based approach where the ends justify the means can be easy to fall into. But it's ultimately a, a, a theology of glory uh, that leads us away from the glory of God. Luther, uh, again, applied this in, uh, as a temptation of human traditions uh, to uh, do the good works that gained public acclaim and favor uh, rather than following the seemingly humble and insignificant uh, duties of the Ten Commandments. Again, he's applying this to his own context where uh, monasticism was leading many people astray. And he said, hey, you know what? You'll get all sorts of fanfare and everyone will pat you on the back if you become a monk. Uh, but what God has asked you to do is be a good husband or wife, to be a good son or daughter. Uh, don't f- go for the good works to gain public recognition and fame and glory and go for what God has actually commanded you to do. Now, it's uh, not exactly the same context we live in where we have the same uh, enticements uh, to go astray, but there are similar uh, ways in which we can be tempted to uh, follow a a path of least resistance, a path that... uh, gains recognition and reward uh, rather than the way of the cross. This is what uh, is uh, really Lenten uh, and appropriate for Lent about this reading is that it it calls us uh, to follow the way of suffering uh, with Christ. That uh, our obedience uh, to God is not going to gain us all the kingdoms of the world. And whatever uh, offers that uh, as an enticement, we should be very wary of. Uh, You can see that last line is repeated twice because the emphasis shifts in the last one that we're called to follow the way of suffering with Christ. And that's the the biggest and most important part of it is that we walk with Christ. Uh, we're not called to a way of suffering alone. Uh, we're called to follow the way of suffering with Christ, who has walked that way before us and shown us by his own example and his own commitment to that, that it is truly best. 
And that as we walk that way, we are not alone, but in the best of company. And that uh, way of suffering uh, would lead Christ to the cross. And as Luther points out, if the devil can't get at you through temptations to lead you astray, then he's going to try and kill you as he did with Christ. He, he couldn't uh, corrupt Christ. He couldn't lead Christ astray. So after uh, three years, uh, basically following the temptation in the wilderness, he just engineered Christ's death. Well, there we see Christ's victory over Satan in the greatest way. As Jesus came specifically to die, and offer his life as a sacrifice, uh, that his purposes were accomplished even by his death. And in death, he was able to overcome all Satan's power uh, by paying the, the price for our guilt and taking away our sin and by rising from the dead uh, to bring us eternal life. And there we see for us, the greatest gift of Christ's victory for us. That as we continue to, to battle sin and temptation and the devil throughout this life, ultimately we will lose our lives as well. Ultimately the, the devil and sin will bring about our death. But Christ's victory will be manifest for us even then. And most clearly of all, as even in death, we are not separated from God, but will be with Christ in his comforting presence, only to rise in the flesh on the last day, uh, to be with him body and soul in heaven forever. This is the wonderful assurance uh, that uh, we have in Christ as the, the victor over sin, death, and the devil. As these texts remind us, we are constantly in battle, but we have the victor on our side. And we have the victory, therefore, as well. And may that peace uh, that is beyond all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus until the day of his glorious return. Amen.